Welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church Cardiff. We are a multi-site church longing for God's kingdom to come in order to restore the city and renew the nation of Wales. During the coronavirus outbreak, we are not meeting on a Sunday, but you can stay connected with us on YouTube, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Vineyard Church Cardiff. Each Sunday, we will be streaming a full-length service and providing resources for the kids. And across the week, we're putting up loads of content. You can find out more on our social media or at cardiffvineyard.org forward slash online church. Here's this week's talk from our associate pastor, Alice Meads. Hi, hello. Today, we're going to be carrying on looking in John's Gospel. We re- Last week was Easter Sunday and James was looking at the story of Jesus' resurrection, the moment when he rose again from the dead and he met Mary in the garden tomb and we looked at how he appeared to his disciples. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to stay in John's Gospel and we are going to be looking at the, some of the encounters that Jesus had with his disciples, with his followers in that time. But before we started uh, but with that today, I wanted to kind of s- to start with a story from my childhood. Um, Now, my parents got uh, divorced when I was very little and I grew up living with my mum. My paternal grandparents, that's my dad's uh, parents, they lived all the way down in Devon. And maybe once a year, maybe less, my dad would come by, he'd pick us up and we'd drive all the way down to Devon to see my grandparents. And we would stay with them for a few days. And they had this lovely kind of old fashioned house. It had like, you know, that kind of wallpaper that's embossed and kind of velvety, you know what I mean, with a pattern is velvety. And it had like these floral carpets and big, heavy curtains. It was really old fashioned, but lovely house. Now, many of you will know, I have a twin sister called Chloe. And it may or may not um, strike you as a surprise to hear that we were little rascals as children, apparently. So bear that in mind as I tell this story. Now, the story goes that one summer, uh, me and Chloe, the rest of my siblings were with my dad and we were down at my grandparents' house in Devon. And my grandma, one morning, we called her Grandma Potts growing up, that's a whole other story, but one morning Grandma Potts came into our room to find Chloe and I, probably three years old, maybe a little bit older, three or four, um, swinging on the curtains in the bedroom we were staying in, like kind of monkeys on a tree swinging on them. My grandma was horrified. You know, at the time, I imagine I thought she was scared for my safety, but now I realise it was probably that she was scared for her house, (laughs) that a whole load of plaster was going to probably get pulled off the wall. Um, And, yeah, she was horrified. And anyway, we did this one time and one time only. I don't even remember it because we were so little. But what I do remember is this. Every time we went down to stay with her, every year we went down and stayed there, from that moment on, she would remind us of that story. Even as a 12 year old, who I, you know, when you feel you're 12 and you feel like you're practically grown up, my grandma's kind of parting words as she'd tuck us into bed, give us a kiss goodnight, she'd be just walking out the door and she'd say, and don't swing on the curtains. <laughs> and she was being completely serious. I remember like at the age of you know, 12 thinking, would she really expect me and Chloe to be swinging on the curtains? They would definitely have come off the wall by that point. Um, I remember thinking at that time, you know, as as I was older, thinking, come on, that was like 10 years ago. Can we just move on now, please? And uh, it was that story came to mind this week as I was looking at the story we're looking at today, the story of Thomas, who was one of Jesus's disciples. And the most famous story, if you know anything about Thomas, is the story of when the disciples, the rest of the disciples come to him and they say that they have seen the risen Jesus. And he doubts them. He doubts that this could have happened. 
And I wonder if Thomas felt even more so than I did when I was younger. You know, this story, his doubt, is what he is known for. It's become his name, you know, even if you are, you know, if you're not aware of, of the story in the Bible, you might have heard the expression of doubting Thomas. It's become what he, was uh, what he was known for. This wasn't a name that was given to him by Jesus. It was a name he's kind of inherited over centuries of Christian tradition. What a nickname to have, what a reputation he has, and unfairly so, I'd say. You know, he was a real man of God, was, the, was Thomas the disciple. We read about him earlier on in John's Gospel. In John chapter 11, there's this moment where um, the, the disciples, Jesus is saying to the disciples, we're going to go um, back to this area called Judea. We need to go back there. And the disciples kind of point out to Jesus, actually, do you remember last time we were there, the locals tried to stone you to death? Do you remember that? You probably don't want to go back there, Jesus. And Jesus, mm, no, we're going back there. And um, the disciples kind of, and Thomas in that moment shows real leadership, courage, and he kind of calls them together and he says to the rest of the disciples, this is John 11, chapter 11, verse 16, he says to them, let us also go that we may die with him. <laughs> so off they went. You know, he was a man, he was a man who was willing to give everything to follow Jesus, even risking his own life in the process. Church tradition would have it that Thomas, in the days of the early church, would become a missionary all the way to India. He would go to share his faith about Jesus and eventually was martyred because of his faith. Thomas was a man of great faith, but his name has been synonymous with doubt. And because of this way this story has been interpreted, um, he is synonymous with a, a kind of a sense, he's been treated with a sense of disapproval. You know, he is the disciple that let the side down. For many years, my understanding of this passage when I read it in you know, youth group and stuff growing up was that Thomas doubts Jesus um, with the disciples. He doubts Jesus could have risen from the dead. And then a few days later, Jesus turns up and tells him off. And that's the end of it. You know, and in that case, Thomas is the one not to be like. Thomas is the one not to be like. The best followers don't doubt. That's the kind of lesson that's often taught through this story. But the problem is, if that's when we end up in our thinking, then this story sits very uncomfortably for all of us because doubt is a reality for all Christians at some point in their lives. So does that mean Jesus disapproves of us in our doubt? I don't think he does. I don't think that this is how we should understand this story or how Jesus feels about us or our doubt. I think this story shows grace and understanding from Jesus. He understands that the Christian faith will involve moments or seasons even of doubt. Maybe you are in one right now as we find ourselves in this terribly hard and difficult time. Maybe for you, doubt is a real reality in your life right now. And my prayer today is you realise that Jesus has compassion and grace and mercy for you in that time. And that there's opportunity um, for good to come out of times like that. So let's jump in and read it together. We're going to be back in John's Gospel, as I said, John chapter 20, verses 24 to 31. So it starts by saying, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means twin. Thomas was a twin, which is probably why I love him so much. So now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Just as, a, um, as an aside, so the, what that's referring to is literally a few verses before we looked at it last week, the moment where Jesus has appeared in a locked room to his disciples and all the disciples were there but Thomas. We don't know what he was doing, whether he was on an errand, whatever it was, he wasn't there, he missed out. So this is what then happens. The other disciples come to Thomas and they, says they, they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. 
A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, it's worth noting from the outset that none of the disciples believed before they'd seen Jesus resurrected. None of them believed in it until they saw it for themselves. Um, we're told that when the women go to the tomb and they find it empty, they encounter an angel who tells them that Jesus has risen from the dead. They run back and they tell the disciples. And in Luke 24, we read that they didn't believe the women. The disciples, they didn't believe the women and they went to see for themselves. None of the disciples were expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. So Thomas isn't alone in this moment. He has spent three years or so with Jesus. He has seen Jesus do the most incredible teaching. He has seen him change the lives of people around him. He's seen him do miraculous healings. And yet in that moment, maybe it's the hard, kind of the hardship of the last few days with the, the reality of seeing Jesus crucified. Maybe that's hanging over him. And in that moment, he just can't believe. He doesn't believe. And you know, our journey can be the same, can't it? You know, we may have seen God do amazing things in our lives, you know, albeit, We've not seen Jesus in the same way that Thomas had, but maybe we've seen God do amazing things in our lives. And then in a moment, it just all feels too unbelievable. We think, am I crazy to be a Christian? Am I crazy to even believe this? It can be just a moment. It can be a season. And doubt is not something that you can just bury and ignore because there will always be a time when you have to put your faith in God, when you have to trust him. And like a time that we find ourselves in at the moment. You know, a season that we're in at the moment where everything feels hard and our only choice, at least the only good choice we have, is to cling on to him and trust him and depend on him in this time. And when we face a moment like this, when we're in a season like the, the one we're in now, doubts can easily come to the surface. You know, doubts that we push down under pressure can kind of bubble up to the surface. And we realise that we are not sure whether we believe God is real or good or able to provide or whatever it is. You know, maybe that's your experience right now. Maybe that's the way, what you've been thinking as you've been facing the loss of your job, financial hardship. Maybe you've been praying for someone who's poorly. Maybe life just feels really tough at the moment. Maybe you're in a season of grief and you find yourself in a time of doubt. I would start by saying that doubt and faith are not the opposite of each other. You know, even in his doubt, notice that Thomas doesn't abandon his faith. Verse 26 tells us that he is in a locked room with his disciples. He's still with them. And in being with them, he's identifying himself still as a follower of Jesus. They have locked the room because they're scared for their life. That's why they're in a locked room. Identifying as a follower of Jesus was a risky moment. Thomas is showing the same level of faith as he did back in John 11. Um, let's go with Jesus. Let's die with Jesus. It's the same faith that he has. He is still willing to die for his faith in Jesus. He is still choosing to have faith in this time, even in the midst of his doubts. Doubt and faith are not the opposite of each other. They can be held in tension together on the Christian journey. But of course, one can come overcome the other. Doubt can easily overcome our faith if we let it. And also faith can, if we allow it, can overcome our doubt. 
You know, we can come out of a time of doubt with our faith strengthened, with our eyes fixed on Jesus. But this can be a really hard journey to go on. I appreciate that. I just wanted to kind of spend a bit of time thinking about what are some of the things that we can do to strengthen our faith through times of doubt? Here's just a few ideas. So my first thought is this, have faith in your faith. Have faith in your faith. Tim Keller tells us this, he says, our culture tells us to place our faith in our doubts and to doubt our faith. Culture tells us to put our faith in our doubts, to believe our doubts and therefore doubt our faith. You know, doubt is the currency of our culture, isn't it? We're told to doubt everything, to question everything. Um, that ultimately there are no answers to be had anyway. We shouldn't believe that there are any answers to be found. Our culture tells us um, that any faith is stupid and naive. But you know what, as people that believe in Jesus, we have a different option available to us. Instead of doubting our faith and putting faith in our doubts, we can put, our faith, we can put faith in our faith and have doubt in our doubts. Have faith in your faith. Dig deeply into the faith you already have in times of doubt. And this can include doing things like returning to favourite truths that you find in scripture, your favourite passages in the Bible. Let the Bible speak truth to you in times of doubt. The last verse that we read, as we read out a minute ago, um, in verse 31 said this. This is John explaining why he's written his gospel. And he says, but these accounts are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's saying, that's why I've written this whole gospel. That's the whole point. And we can kind of deduce that's the whole point of the whole of scripture is so that we may have faith, that we may believe that we may be reminded of who God is and what he has done. The, the Bible tells us the stories of who God is and what he has done. And by reading them, we can encounter the Son of God, the Messiah, and that by believing, we may have life in his name. Going back to scripture, to the truth of the Bible, can increase our faith, can give us faith in doubt. Digging back into our faith can also look like reminding ourselves of what God has done in our own lives, our own stories of Jesus. You know, remembering moments of faith in our past can help us when we are in moments of doubt um, at the present. They can give us faith for the moment we find ourselves in. You know, for me, there are a few stories in my life that I will always go back to if I'm ever doubting God at all or, or feeling anxious that he may not um, provide or he, I cannot trust him or any of those feelings I might have. There's a few key stories I always go back to, moments where I kind of undeniably, I cannot say that God doesn't exist, that I know in that moment that God was there. I have a whole load of these, you know, just to share one with you. You know, I remember um, years ago, Matt and I, this is when we were just dating, so it was quite a long time ago when we were living in Nottingham at the time, and uh, we were in church one evening, and um, we were with a whole load of people. There's about 400 people probably there that evening in the service. And we were in a series teaching on um, hearing from God, how to hear a word from God. And uh, the, the leader invited us just to take a moment, all of us in that room, all 400 of us, to have a moment to ask God if there was any word um, that he would give us to then for someone else that was there that evening. So we all sat there in silence for a minute. It's always awkward, isn't it? Silence in a big room like that. We sat there and prayed and I wasn't sure I had anything I said nothing and then uh, there was a moment where um, the leader John he invited people to uh, there was a mic going round, and you could share if you had a word for anyone that was there and the next thing I know Matt next to me has put his hand up yep he's got a word so he stands up and he shares this word 
he shared that how as soon as he'd got there that evening, he'd had like a weird feeling in his tummy. His tummy had felt weird. And he felt as soon as in that moment of waiting from God to hear from God, he felt um, God say to him that someone here, this is the word, someone here is not eating right. And as Matt stood up and shared that, God also gave him a name, Naomi. So Matt shared that someone here is not eating right. And I think their name is Naomi. And other people then shared their words. And then there was a time for anyone that wanted to respond to say that, yep, one of those words had been for them. And lo and behold, a girl, um, probably 18 year old, she was a, f a few blocks away from us uh, in, the, um, in the auditorium and she stands up. And she explains that she doesn't normally come to this church, that she was at a point in her life when she was ready to walk away from her faith. Um, but her friends had brought her here that evening to this service and that she has struggled with an eating disorder. And she'd said to God, you know, I don't know if you care about me. I'm going to walk away from my faith unless I hear from you this evening. And this girl's name was Naomi. And she shared that. And, you know, we talked to her and prayed with her afterwards. And I, you know, I don't, I've not obviously uh, seen her since, but I don't know what happened to the rest of that story, except to say that that story for me is one that I come back to in times of, of doubt or questioning God. Because I know Matt, I know there is no way he could have known that if that wasn't from God. There was only, there's only one way he could have known that. And that was because he'd heard from God. That's a story that I go back to that gives me faith. Another good thing to do to kind of have faith in our faith is to use the faith of other people. Um, staying in community is really important in times of doubt. You know, that's what Thomas does, doesn't he? He keeps himself in community with the other disciples, with his friends, and those people that are also trying to follow Jesus in this time. You know, we need each other's faith in moments of doubt, in seasons of doubt, because it can be so disorientating when we doubt, can't it? And we need people around us, the faith of those around us. And, be, and in that process, we can kind of grab onto their faith. You know, the picture I have, the image I have in my mind is like being all at sea in doubt, disorientated, all at sea in a time of doubt. And someone else's faith in that moment can be like a life raft that you can grab out to and grab onto. The reality is when most, when people are struggling with doubts, one of the, the kind of the most common things, often the first thing that goes is them being in community. You know, they stop coming to church, they stop going to small group, they stop engaging. And that is a serious step towards letting doubt overcome your faith. That is a serious step towards doubt overcoming your faith. A community of faith is so important in a season of doubt. Have faith in your faith. Invest in your faith, dig deep with the faith you already have in those times. So have faith in your faith, and then secondly, examine your doubts. A great question to ask during a time of doubt is, what is behind me thinking this? What is behind me thinking this? As Christians so often, when we are doubting, we are actually asking a question of God. And often the question we're asking comes from a place within us of deep pain, a difficult place, a time when we felt let down or unheard, where we have different expectations of God, a time when he seems very distant. You know, let's not forget the context of, uh, that Thomas is in, in this time, the context of his doubt. You know, the awful shock that it would have been Good Friday you know, the grief and the despair that he must have been feeling in this time. You know, in the midst of all this pain, all this death, all this suffering, he doubts whether there really could be good news. You know, he's so surrounded by the reality of death. For him, this story that there is life just doesn't seem believable. And he doubts in that moment. I wonder if the question he's asking in the midst of his pain is, God, are you really that good? Can you really be that good? I think many of us will have asked that question. If you're in a season of doubt right now, 
What question is it you're asking of God? What is the question that you've got for God? And behind that, dig deeper, what is the pain behind that question? The invitation today is to bring that pain to Jesus. Bring that pain before him. And as we will see in the, in the story later on, as, as Thomas is met by Jesus in his pain, that Jesus will be gracious and kind with you in the midst of your pain. Examine your doubts. Know that God can use them. You know, take heart that God in time can use doubts to reach out to the world around us. You know, our doubts just show us to be real people. You know, it means that we're not these kind of cardboard cutout Christians, that we have doubts and questions just like everyone else. You know, I often think about how Thomas would have responded later on in his life, you know, as a missionary, when he was telling people about the truth of Jesus. And maybe they say to him, do you really expect me to believe Jesus rose from the dead? I can imagine him being like, I have been there, my friend. Me too. I also doubted that once. But let me tell you what happened to me when I doubted that. Just think of it. Think of amazing, the, the, the amazing impact um, Thomas, the story Thomas could tell in that moment, the, the impact that story would have in that moment. You know, being able to respond to the world around us with a me too is so important if we're going to reach out to a world that is so full of doubt and questions, which I think it is right now. It is so important. Our journey of doubt can be so important in reaching out to the world around us. You know, sometimes as Christians, it can feel really threatening, can't it, when people criticise our faith. We can get really defensive, can't we? Uh, we can kind of be tempted to kind of beat them down with our theological reasoning, rather than to ask them what, what the question really is. And even further than that, what is the pain behind that question they're asking? What is the struggle there? You know, I remember years ago, Stephen Fry, a national kind of broadcasting hero in my mind, I realised I actually spoke about him a few weeks ago. So <laughs> I keep going back to him. I do love him dearly. And not just because he's the voice of Winnie the Pooh on my uh, kid's uh, story CD. I love him dearly. But he is a huge sceptic of the Christian faith. And a few years ago, he spoke out in an interview and he questioned the logic that there could, there could be a God, um, that there could be a loving God in a world that is full of so much suffering. And he spoke in quite kind of um, brutal language. And I remember the torrent of abuse he received from Christians on social media. You know, Christians were incensed by this kind of cynical grenade that Stephen Fry, it seemed, had kind of thrown at us as Christians. And you know what he did? He spoke about God in a way that was upsetting or painful for me to read. But you know what? I was actually more upset about the response he received on social media, where Christians simply threw a grenade right back at him. You know, instead of admitting that actually as Christians, many of us will have asked questions around suffering. Many of us will have had those questions, albeit from a very different starting point and using very different language. But many of us will have asked those questions. Instead of searching for the pain in his life that is behind those questions and meeting him in that place. You know, at the end of this blow up on social media, I can't imagine that Stephen Fry was any closer to encountering the love that Jesus had for him in the midst of his pain. You know, as Christians, we have to see that the world around us is asking questions. We have to see the pain in those questions that the world is asking. And we get to share that we have been in that place too, but that faith is still possible. So examine your doubts. Have faith in your faith and examine your doubts. And then the next point, embrace the mystery. Embrace the mystery. Putting faith in our faith as we do that and as we examine our doubts, we'll get to a point where we realise that there are some things that we will never know or understand this side of heaven. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 says this, For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. 
Then we shall see, then in heaven, we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Do you know what, there are some things I just don't believe that we'll know this side of heaven, that we will have a clear answer to this side of heaven. For whatever reason, God wants it to be that way. You know, we are limited as human beings in our ability to understand. And absolute certainty is not something that we can experience at this point. And in that sense, we will have to accept that, there we, that we will always have doubts in our Christian journey. Frederick Buchner, who's an American minister and writer, he says this, without somehow destroying me in the process, how could God reveal himself in a way that would leave no room for doubt? If there was no room for doubt, there would be no room for me. This side of heaven, Jesus does not invite us to certainty, but to trust. Jesus is not inviting us to certainty, but to trust. That is the journey of faith. Trusting that we do not have all the answers. In a season like this, we don't have all the answers. We don't know. But we get to trust that he does and that he is enough. And so finally, for any of us in the season of doubt, ultimately, let's take heart that the answers that we are looking for are in a person, Jesus. As we've said, you know, it was a week later and Jesus, he turns up amongst the disciples once more. And his response to Jesus, to Thomas in that moment is pure grace. There's no shaming. There's no telling off. Just note how similar this moment is when Jesus turns up in a locked room with his disciples, the same locked room. How similar it is to the verses, um, you know, before that James looked at when he turned up the last time, a week earlier in that locked room. It's like Jesus has recreated the exact same scene, but this time for Thomas. Note how he beckons Thomas over, how graciously he meets him in his doubt. Thomas has said that he needs to see Jesus's hands to put his finger on the marks left by the nails to place his hand into his side. That's what he said to the disciples a week before. See how closely Jesus has heard him. See the grace in the detail by which Jesus has heard Thomas. This is what Jesus says to Thomas in verse 27. Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas, I've heard your doubts, is what, is what Jesus says. And Thomas, in that moment, he gets to touch Jesus. Thomas, who has questioned, can life come out of death like that? He gets to touch Jesus to feel the warmth of his skin, to feel him breathing. He gets to reach in and touch the living, breathing Jesus. Where there should have been death, where there's pain, where there's the scars on his side, the scars on his hands, where there should have been death, he gets to touch out and feel that there is life. To Thomas's questions, to his doubts, Jesus provides himself. The answer Thomas gets back is Jesus. And in that moment we read Thomas falls to his feet in worship. He shouts out, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. He is overcome by the grace of Jesus in that moment. Jesus seeks Thomas out. That is pure grace, pure kindness by Jesus. And then in those last few words, he seeks us out. Jesus seeks us out, read this, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's not addressing Thomas in this moment, that's not him telling him off. He's not addressing the disciples even, because they all have seen and then believed. But he's addressing us, those of us that have not seen and yet believed. This is a moment of pure kindness, pure grace by Jesus. Jesus understands how hard it is for those of us that we're living in this tension between doubt and faith who will live only seeing in part. 
and to us he extends his blessing and his encouragement. Which one day, one day we'll receive that blessing and encouragement directly from Jesus. When we meet him face to face, when we have our encounter with Jesus, like the one Thomas has. When we finally get to do what Thomas does, we get to see him face to face, to touch him, to see that he bears the marks of death, but that he is alive. To see that this really is good news. And in that moment, all our doubts will be gone. I just pray as we finish, Lord Jesus, thank you that you meet us in our doubts. We thank you that you are the answer to our doubts. We thank you that we can trust that whilst there is still mystery, we know that you have the answers. I just pray right now for anyone listening to this who is in a season of doubt, and I pray that they would be able to bring their doubts to you, their pain to you, and know that you are with them. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, you can tune in to our YouTube channel on Sundays from 10.30 for our online church, or connect with us through Facebook and Instagram to hear from us throughout the week. We would love to help you find out more about Jesus or grow in your faith. So if you have any questions, get in touch on social media or email info at cardiffvineyard.org. If you're local to Cardiff, we would love for you to get involved in a small group, which is just a small group of people meeting throughout the week across the city. Of course, meeting online at the moment. They are the heartbeat of this church and now more than ever at this time of social distancing, they are so important for you to stay connected to church and grow in your faith. Head to our website cardiffvineyard.org and hit the small groups tab at the top of the page to find out more. If you're listening from further afield, thanks so much for tuning in. We're really glad you're here. But we would also love to help you get connected with a local church where you are. So email us at info at cardiffvineyard.org and we would love to help. Thanks again for tuning in this week. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.